Yeah, baby. Okay, we're going to start off with um, a little spiritual reading, and we're going to invite the teacher chair, Phil, to come up. Hi, I'm Phil, compulsive reader. Okay, Voices of Recovery, July 25th. We have what we need any time we are willing to go, let go of self-will and humbly ask for help. The 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of O-Readers Anonymous, page 27. This seems to be the key to the program and to life. Be able to let go and of self-will and to reach out to a power greater than myself for help. It took me many years in the program to feel that this is how it works. Self-will always seemed such a, a source of energy, yet I couldn't see that this type of energy resulted in a lot of restlessness. This is much more peace in doing the things my higher power wants me to do and to my surprise, this doesn't mean things don't get done. I still do the laundry. I have a job. Cook a healthy meal. It's just my frame of mind that has changed. I'm so serene now. Okay, let's start with a few... Mm. Oh, what am I going to do at my next meeting? I'll have nothing to say. <laughs> my sponsor's not in town right now, okay? I can't read the 10 step to anybody, so please, don't give me a reason. Krispy Kreme delivers. For you. <laughs> okay, the colorful vest has been picked up from Lost and Found, the blue tote bag with the organizers been picked up, but the blue backrest uh, has not been picked up. It has been picked up. It's yours. It's in the hospitality suite. Please see Melissa or Louise right at, not now, have a seat. Not now. It's locked. Can't get there. The train's here. Um, but after the closing's done, if you could go to hospitality, Melissa and or Louise will beat you there because they're so efficient and will give you your back rate. Um, your pro Has everyone got a little ticket? Well, that's good because I don't have the prize. Did everyone turn in an evaluation? Did everyone get a ticket? Okay, this is what I need you to do. Mike, Lauren, where are you? Mike, Lauren, hello, hello. Bueller, Bueller. The TV generation. Um, hey, Josie, could you tell Mike Z and Lauren to come? Oh, you're such a gentleman. Raise your hand if you didn't get a ticket and you turned in an evaluation on this program. Okay, keep your hands up there until the blood drains completely. And then put up your other hand. Uh, Mike, these people need tickets. 
the hands that are up. Okay, while your hands are up and we do want to get you a ticket, I'm going to tell you a few things. This is the 35 millimeter camera that you're going to win. Thank you for sharing. And, um, okay, let's get um, All drawings will be after the speaker. Huh? You have to stay. Um, the 50 50 is over $1,000. Okay, are the tickets coming in yet, Mike and Lauren? Because I see blue arms now. Here we go, Judy Lynch, Judy L. She's doing the deal. Okay, I want to compliment this group because all the silent auction items are picked up. Thank you. I want to thank this group. There's hardly anything left in the boutique. Thank you. You see these lovely little crossing arms here? You see the trains on the wall? First come, first serve. Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> Couple announcements. Okay, we got a few more arms that are turning blue for red tickets up front. Anybody else? I, yes. No. 50-50, you're going to get a chance in the feeding frenzy at the end. Get your money out. Be ready. So I'm doing announcements, and I have this much patience. Um, wait, it's because I have the microphone. Let me find out from Katie. There's a lady over here that's got a Jones for some quilt tickets. Right here. I had, it's a little prayer, and I changed my mind. Okay, a couple of announcements for those of you that live in Northern California. There's a fantabulous East Bay Overeaters Anonymous 12-step marathon in Oakland on September 18th. <laughs> Flyers are all around. April 22nd to the 24th of 2005. Yeah, we live one day at a time. Um, OA Serenity Retreat, Living with Abstinence and 19 Years of Recovery, co-sponsored by the Silicon Valley and We Care Intergroups of Overeaters Anonymous. Flyers are either on your seats or in the back, uh, back in the atrium. November 6th of this year, Silicon Valley Overeaters Anonymous, pretty active intergroup, I might add, presents a day in OA, working a well-rounded program on November 6th, and the flyers are out back. All sorts of things you can do. Let me check my notes. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Like I have ESP. Um, first, we're going to have a speaker. And then we're going to have drawings. And this will be the order of the drawings. This is how we're going to do it. There is not going to be a debate. First, we're going to have the evaluation drawing for the camera. Then we're going to have the feeding frenzy on the 50-50. You can buy your last ticket. It will only last for five minutes. We will have several people collecting your money and giving you tickets. Five minutes, because this train's leaving on time today. Then we will be having the quilt and Afghan drawing tickets, and this is how it will work. 
The first ticket drawn will choose from the three quilts. I can. The second. Thank you, my people. The second ticket will be choose between the two Afghans. The third ticket will get the third Afghan. The fourth ticket will get the quilt. Good try. Okay, now I get to read the cherished. All cell phones off, please. All cell phones, audible, MP3 players, any other audible noises you feel you need to make. <laughs> okay, we probably need to tiny. It's Sunday. We're supposed to be serene or spiritual. <laughs> no, it ain't happening. Here's our cherished anonymity statement. So the, did everyone get a red ticket before I do this? Are we all happy? Okay. Circulation's working again? Good. Anonymity statement. To those of you who might be here representing the print or television media, please help us preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. We ask that in your reporting on OA that you use only first names or pseudonyms of OA members and that you obscure the faces of those who identify themselves as OA members. Oh, this is the good part. This is the good. I met this man my second meeting or third meeting of OA and I heard him say he worked his program like his hair was on fire and he doesn't have a lot of hair <laughs> it's not too often you get a microphone you get to say things about our most one of our most our beloved Sacramento, cherished OA member with the best license plate in town, Tom H. Hi, my name is Tom, and I'm a compulsive overeater. I had to change that line from my hair's on fire to my clothes is on, to my clothes is on fire. Because uh, when I started OA 25 years ago, I had, a, I had a big shock of black, long, curly hair. But that was then, and this is now. <laughs> anyway, stretch clock. Um, good meeting starts on time, ends on time. Good chair starts on time, and ends on time. I was at a meeting the other night with a 15-minute timer, and someone spoke for 45 minutes. And I said, where's the humility in that? You know, where's the humility in that? Nothing is so important that one person has to say that they have to go that far over their time. Anyway. So I, I'm, uh, I'm, gr I'm glad to be here. I'm grateful to be here. Happy to be here. Happy to be abstinent. Contentedly abstinent. And that's a miracle for me. Uh, this is my home fellowship, <clears throat> my home intergroup, my home meeting at the uh, Friday, night Friday Night St. Francis Meditation Group, 11-step emphasis group. And uh, all my home group members, thank you for being here. And, uh, yeah, thank you. And... Uh, you know, I got to say something. This is the best convention I've ever been to. I'm probably prejudiced, and I've been to a lot of them. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the atrium kind of made it. Uh, of course, of course, we have Barb here, who's like I said, like I said, and like I told her this morning, when Mussolini was president of Italy, the trains ran on time. I told you, and I told you I was going to. 
Ah, 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 Okay, and the train theme. Oh, the train theme. I live, this is my adopted hometown. I've lived here now since 1977. 54, half my life I've lived here. I love it here, you know. Uh, but there's always that thing about it. When I lived in the Bay Area, it was always Sacramento. Well, it's halfway from the, to the Bay Area, halfway to the mountains. But, like, there's no there there, basically. And there is a lot of here there, you know. And uh, there really is a lot of there here, here there. But... And I've always tried, I've always been a little uh, sensitive about that Sacramento image. And so several years ago, I was, at the, I was sharing at the Los Angeles birthday party, which is a great convention, too. If you haven't been there in January, it's awesome convention. It is a, it's, it is a, it's, it's a you know, great getaway in January. So I was down there, and I was sharing. And I was, I was telling them how, um, how we have a birthday party, too. It's kind of like, it's a lot smaller. It's Sacramento style. It's kind of... Hooterville style, kind of Petticoat Junction style, you know, trying to live down the train and just, oh my God, and then when the thing came up for our convention, the train, it can't be the trains, please not the trains, can it be the city of trees, can it be the American River, you know, and I, and I finally got used to it, so I feel like, you know, like, like, I'm expecting like Jethro and Ellie Mae to walk by, you know, <laughs> like, so welcome all from Jed and all his kin, thank you all for kindly dropping in, you know. Welcome to, and I got one of these things too. So let's get it on here, huh? So uh, anyway, you heard my my story before. It hasn't changed a lot in the last year. Uh, I always I always qualify with this story about a about a backpacking trip I went on. I've been going to the mountains hiking since I was eight years old, and uh, my parents took me to, took me to Yosemite when I was eight years old. Fell in love with mountains, you know, and so. Uh, I started away in 1979, and about 1980, still hadn't, still doing half measures. I, I actually was one. I gained, I gained 100 pounds my first 10 years of program. You know, half measures avail us nothing. And uh, so I went on this backpacking trip, and we went. I went with my, uh, see, it was my ex-wife's best friend's husband, who is now my ex-wife's husband. Now that's a whole another story for a whole another fellowship, and I'll just leave it at. He at the time he was my ex-wife's best friend's husband. So. We go on this backpacking trip to a place called Independence Lake, which is 10 miles north of uh, Donner Summit on the Pacific Crest Trail. We get to this lake, and I've got the usual array of diet foods, you know. And, of course, the day before, I had eaten all 31 flavors. <laughs> and you can't go from all 31 flavors to powdered whatever, whatever I had, powdered milk and powdered this and whatever, whatever kind of food I had. So I noticed that when we were packing that Chris had these two candy bars. And one was, uh, and by the time uh, I started detoxing off sugar, and t I think sugar is a tissue-dependent drug substance. There is a detox to it. By the time we were uh, had had found our our camping plot place, all I could think of was like Butterfinger, like Baby Ruth, and I knew where they were. So, like any good compulsive eater, or anyone in this room, of course, he went fishing on Saturday night. We're the only ones ten miles from anybody. Oh, there is some is some deer hoof prints there, and you already know what I did. I stole them out of his pack. I ate them. I buried the wrappers. <laughs> They're still up there, Independence Lake, Pacific Crest Trail. And uh, um, he never said a word. I go, oh, this is beautiful, you know? And so uh, so I got a lot of mileage out of the story in a way. And then so like 10 years ago, my son is now 27. When he was like 16, my uh, current wife Susan and I went over to... Um, Santa Rosa, he lived in Napa at the time, to, to, to pick him up for a day and take him hiking. 
So on the way over there, I said, Susan, that story, I'm going to go and get these, replace these candy bars. So we stop and I get one of each and put, I had this coat on, one in each pocket. So I said, Chris, remember the time you and I went to this, uh, we're, we're, we're good friends, we've been friends for 35 years. I said, remember that time you and I went to this backpacking trip in Independence Lake? And I said, you know, I stole two candy bars off you. And he goes, I don't remember that. So I took them out. He goes, they're the wrong size. So, <laughs> so, so, when, so when you get to step nine and you think they forgot, they probably didn't, you know? Anyway, um, uh, you know, I grew up in a family with, uh, uh, there was a lot of uh, addiction in my family. A lot of, al- it's like the men were in the alcohol and the women were in the anger. And I got into the food real early. And um, I grew up in, Pennsylvania, in a little village in Pennsylvania. And we moved to San Francisco when I was five years old. And we had a, you know, back in those days, if you remember, of course, no one remembers this. The television was as big as this, this podium, and the screen was like this. You know, okay. You remember. <laughs> so um, I'd be right in front of the TV on my knees looking there, and I'm watching Leave it to Beaver, you know, seeing the Cleaver family, you know, Wally and, and, what's, and, and whatever his brother's name is, and and the, and the, yeah, Beaver, Beaver. I've been up since 4.30, Wally and Beaver and, 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 and the, the parents. Yeah, man, I'm off today. Okay. And so, and so I look over my shoulder. I'm looking at the Cleavers. I look, and, and I'm not seeing the Cleavers there. You know, I am not seeing the Cleavers. I'm seeing a lot of anger, and I'm real scared. And I'm like six or seven years old. So what do I do? I turn to food. You know, I turn to food way before that. I was in the food when I was probably, well, my picture's at two years old. I was already eating. So who knows when this, this addiction started for me? I might have been born with it. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Really, it really does not matter. You know, and, um, uh, you know, it's like uh, it says in the big book, in the doctor's opinions, it says that uh, men and women eat essentially for the effect produced by the food. And that's what I did. And I didn't know what I, why I was doing it. And it's, it, says the, it says that the, uh, the uh, alcoholic life is the only normal one for us. It's all I knew was the food, the food, the dieting the overeating, the binging, and the starving. Because if I did that, I couldn't think about the way I felt. Even at that age, you know, I was told, my mother said, Tommy, you're going to be the fattest kid in San Francisco. And, you know, and I thought I was gonna, that was going to be true at, at some point. And, you know, it talks about having an allergy and an obsession on that same page in the big book, The Doctor's Opinion. It talks about there's a strange phenomenon of craving an allergy. And the allergy is an abnormal reaction. But an allergy is also when you break out in funny spots. And the funny spots I break out in is this Krispy Kreme, you know, uh, the ta- taco joint, the all-you-can-eat place, the pizza place, those are my funny spots. And I always, I always did that. You know, and it says we're restless, irritable, and discontented. And a few bites are going to take away those feelings again. And I think about every time I've ever really wanted to eat, even in one recently, what am I feeling? Somewhere I'm restless, irritable, and discontented. When that book was written in the 30s, it's amazing what they knew. It's just amazing. And if you haven't got it, get one. It took me 10, almost 10 years to get one. And in the last page, it says, we realize we know only a little. They knew a lot. They knew a lot, a lot, you know. And, and, it's just, and I just got to make a pitch for that big book, you know. And, and you know, I, I got here before there was a, a 12 and 12. And, a, and, the, and the, well, they just come out with the, with the For Today book. And, and so I spent a lot of, we had a few pamphlets and we had, had the big book. And, and so that's kind of what I concentrated, even when I, when I really started working the program in 89. And, you know, I started, like I said, I started OA in uh, 1979 and uh, went to some meetings in Roseville. The meeting just, my, my original home meeting just closed. And I said, when I get a sick of those people, I know where to go, you know. And uh, I went out and got a story and uh, gained 100 pounds and 
it was really rough. It was it was rough out there. It was hard out there. Uh, I wound up uh, actually when I was nine years old, I was put on uh, on uh, diet pills, little green things or something, little white things, and and they made my appetite go away for a while. But then eventually, all they really made all they really made me do was eat faster, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I developed a lifelong habit with these diet pills. And then I found a way, I found out there was a way to take this stuff and put it in a spoon and draw it up in a syringe and put it in your arm. So I did it that way and still made me eat faster. And so what happened was that this other thing took on a life of its own and uh, I had to go and get some help for the diet drugs before I could get help with the food. But in the meantime, I was auditioning for Folsom Prison. You know, I lost, I lost families, I lost houses, I lost cars. I filed bankruptcy, and if you've never seen, seen anyone who almost went to prison over food, you're looking at one today, because I could have easily went to prison over food, and that's and that's my reality, you know, and uh, and so I was in and out of OA. I came, you know, uh, uh, came back to after I went, I had to go into one of these treatment joints, one of these nut houses, and to get off of the originally in '88 to get off of the diet drugs, and it got my brain clear, and I said to myself. This is what they were talking about in OA. They were talking about these steps, the steps we took and the tools we used. And so um, I got back to Sacramento in October of 88, and I said, drew a line in the sand, this is it. I'm not leaving, and I haven't left since. I've been coming back ever, ever since, and I uh, haven't missed a meeting. I haven't missed, you know, except for when if I go on a trip or something. I went to last, last November, I went to Nepal. I went to uh, Mount Everest Base Camp. And, you know, for someone like me, who used to be over 300 pounds and couldn't climb five stairs to get up to 18,200 feet was was really a spiritual experience, and it, it was it was just amazing. But the but the but the funny thing about it was is there was like there was like well four Americans and a Canadian on my trek and, and four Sherpas and all these people are losing weight and losing weight and I go well damn I'm not losing weight I'm kind of I kind of like this Sherpa food give me some more of that dalbot you know like, but. Uh, it was it was funny. I was like, of course, a compulsive overeaters. You know, even at 25,000 feet in the in the depth zone, we're not going to lose weight. You know, I was like, hey, <laughs> this is cool. You know, but uh, that was that was so neat. It was so I I put actually put a uh, uh, I did a share one time in a Lifeline years ago. It was uh, it was right before I ran uh, San Francisco Marathon. I, I called it the invisible the invisible OA flag, and uh, I said you guys will all be there with me. And so all these and I'm really really in that adventure. And uh, all the uh, things I do now, you all are with me. And even in Nepal, I always had this invisible OA flag. Because it wasn't for OA and you people in this fellowship, I couldn't have gone here. I'd be still over 300 pounds on the couch. You know? So thank you very much. Or as I say in Nepal, namaste. <laughs> and, uh, and what that means is I see the God within you, and God's in all of us. Tells that in the big book on page 56. That inside of every man, woman, and child, there, there exists God. And I see it now. I never saw it before. I never saw it myself. I was an atheist when I got here. You know, and I was the guy in the big book. I was, I like talking about the steps, because the steps, were, steps and tools are where it's at. The steps and the tools used together, used, work together, they work together seamlessly like that, like seamlessly for recovery and abstinence. You know, I'm just now ending a, a 28 year career with, in the fire service. I'm a firefighter in Sacramento. And uh, I have, 12 shifts to work. It's like 10 and 2. And I'm done. And it's like, and people ask me, how does it feel to retire? I go, 
Well, did you ever see the commercial, the Publishers Clearinghouse, where Ed McMahon walks up with a check this big? You know, well, that's how I feel. You know, it's like no more work. It's like it's going to be wonderful. But uh, anyway, I'm I'm in this career where you know, in the fire service, we use a little, we use you know, obviously on a fire, it takes certain steps, certain tools, and we use and we practice this stuff. Practice, practice, practice the steps and the tools. The steps are the steps are uh, the tools are obviously the hose and the mass and the axe and the ho and all that stuff. And, and the steps are how we do it. So if we pull up on a fire, it works seamlessly. We've all, my crew is, we have a century crew, 100-year crew, and we're all old-timers. And it's like, we get busy, you know? We just get on scene and we do it like that. Steps and tools used together seamlessly. It's like this here, that's what I needed here. I need steps and tools to be used seamless, seamlessly. And that's kind of what I worked at. And like, like, Barb, like Barb said, I worked this thing like my hair was on fire. <laughs> and it's true, I did. And, uh, and, I, and one day, um, I went to four OA, four OA meetings because that's what I needed that day. I went to one at, at we had, used to have one at 6.30 Monday morning. I went to one at 10 o'clock at Citrus Heights. I went to one at noon. I went to one at like 5.30 in the afternoon or, or, or like, uh, and then 7.30 at night. And I needed every one of them to stay absent that day. I have a reservoir of strength and hope now where I can, I can leave for a month. And uh, I miss it. I take my literature with me, but I can get by without it. And that's what it takes. To, I think it's that reservoir of strength and hope that I got from you all here in OA. So anyway, step one says we admit we were powerless over food and our life has become unmanageable. And I always think of that damn jaywalker in the big book. I read about that jaywalker forever, and I realized I am the jaywalker, you know. The guy just can't, he just knows what is, what's going to happen to him. Every time he jumps out in front of a car or a truck and he just can't stop. So it was like me with the food, you know. Like me with the like one night at work, I was working at the station in, in the Thomas. And uh, I was woke up in the middle of the night because we worked 24-hour shifts. Restless, irritable, and discontented. We sell candy bars there, so they have a little, little stash, little store. And I got up to have one. Well, 14 later, I went back to bed, and I took all the wrappers and crumpled them up real tight and put them in the garbage can, you know. And I woke up in the morning, and all 14 were laid out where I sit in the morning for coffee by the rest of the crew, and they were all chuckling at me. I think that's what the big book calls pitiful and comprehensible demoralization, and I felt it. But you know what? It was things like that that got me to where I am today, where I know that the first one, it's not going to end with one. One is, the, one is just the beginning. It's not the caboose that's going to get me. It's the locomotive, you know, every time. So then, uh, you know, I step, step two and three, hope, hope and, and faith. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like I didn't have the hope or the faith. And if you have the hope or the faith, even if you're back from a relapse or whatever, it's like hope and faith, you have a leg up in everything. Uh, several years ago, right, the day before my belly button birthday, April 15th, I had this friend of mine over that sponsor, and I had this up. Uh, we, we used to grow tomatoes in this house. Lots of sun, perfect, perfect location for them. And I had these big, uh, th had this concrete rebar, about just big around, seven feet high, and I had this little tiny plant, like this little two-inch tomato plant in there. And this guy said, boy, you got a lot of faith, you got a lot of hope or a lot of faith there, don't you? I said, you know what, I know it's gonna happen, because I have hope and faith, because I see it happen every single year. I plant a little two-inch plant in this thing, and by the end of the summer, it's going to be seven feet high. It's going to be grown out of this uh, out of this thing, out of this cage. And so we kind of made a bad, kind of laughed about it. So you know, that's April. It didn't move. May. It didn't move. Started to grow in June. I'm going. You better start growing, you little, you know, whatever, you know. Because I told so and so you're going to be seven feet high. So here comes July, and well, you all know what July is like in Sacramento. And this thing just starts growing, you know. So by November, when I cut it down, it was ten feet tall. It was up over the seven feet thing like a, like a volcano. It was huge, you know. 
And uh, that's what happens, you know. That's what happens with a little bit of sun, a little bit of love, a little bit of water, a little bit of God, you know. And that's what happens here. With the love we find with, within, with each other and with steps and the tools, and we keep coming back no matter what, and don't leave five minutes before the miracle happens, it'll happen for us. It happened for me. It'll happen for everybody. I, you know, I thought I'd be the last one this would ever work for. I thought of the hundreds of thousands or millions of people that ever came to OA, I would be the one who wouldn't work for it. It even worked for me, so it can work for everybody. It can work for, it can work for you, too. And so then, um, uh, you know, I looked at the, the fourth and fifth steps, and, uh, you know, and, and I made that searching, that searching fearless moral inventory. And I always think about going to the, uh, when I go to the doctor's, uh, go to the doctor's office, I always play with, I like playing with the tools where the doctor comes in with little magnifying glasses, and I put all this crap on them, checking myself out. And I looked one time at my, my fingernail, you know, and it was, it looked fine. But it was all, under the, under the light of this thing, it was all broken and cracked. And I realized it was like, what was wrong with me? I was broken and cracked. I hadn't healed inside. I was looking okay on the outside, but I wasn't healed inside, you know? And I did that inventory, with, and it was like I heard one time, well, through the pain, you see the light, you know? And I did this, this moral inventory, and it was a lot different after I did that. And I want to share it with my, with my sponsor. And uh, there was a part I came to where... I was not going to tell a dead dog. I knew this guy 90 days. I was not going to tell him. I came to this part in my inventory and I said, and uh, I went, nope, skipped it. And then about six pages later, guess what? There it was again. And uh, by then he had, everything that's ever happened to me, it happened, happened to him and he conferred with that. So I, I took a deep breath and I said, here it is. And I told him what it is. I'm not going to share in this room. You know, it was a deep, dark secret. And I told him, and he goes, that's what you're reading over. That was your, that was the, and I, and I believe we all got these deep, deep, dark, these deep, dark secrets. We get them out of there. We share our resentments. We share our fears. We our, share our sex inventories, and things change a lot. And ironically, this man that took me to all those meetings and everything, I actually met him in a fellowship where I went for the uh, original diet drug thing. And he was like my big brother in recovery. And uh, he was coming up on 18 years. And he called me six weeks ago, and he said, uh, I'm doing narcotics again, Tom. And uh, he moved to Hawaii in 1991. And he's a guy I always talk about, although he wasn't always sponsored. He was my big brother in recovery. And uh, I kind of suspected something was up because, you know, our relationship had changed. Even though we, all, we always swore there would be no difference between the 2,500 miles of water would, wouldn't impact our, our, our relationship. And I knew it had. And I just kind of plugged in the first half of the first step. And I suspected this. And... So I was able to pick. I was able to do for him what he did for me, and I was able to pick him up at SFO six weeks ago or five weeks, and it's been a blur. The last five weeks have been a blur for me, and I picked him up at SFO on June 21st. Took him to a, a medical detox where he, he kicked narcotics, and then he said to me, "Tommy, you be my sponsor." I was like, "What?" That was hard, and uh. I said, yeah, but you're going to hear a lot of, and I repeated his name. He said, that's okay. That's what I need to hear. For the last for the last month, that's what I've been doing, working with my sponsor. And I didn't think I had the strength to do it. But I, somehow, somehow, I, find the strength, I found the strength to do it. And the guy that took me to 90 and 90, I haven't taken the meetings. You know, the guy that took me under my wing, I took under his wing. The reason I'm, I'm somewhat rummy this morning is 5.30 this morning, guess who was in front of my house? <laughs> I went out to get the newspaper, and I said to Susan, uh, 
the chronic, we get both we get to be in the chronic life. The chronicle, the chronicle didn't come this morning. I hear this guy. I got it, man. <laughs> and he's reading my newspaper with a flashlight. Holy shit! Get in the house, man. What's the matter with you? You know, we don't have people reading newspapers with flashlights in East Sacramento. You know. <laughs> In cars like that that he borrowed. He's a, he's a good dope fiend. He, in, in cars like that he, that he borrowed for a month. So, thank God he's going back to Hawaii tomorrow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's got the eye of the tiger. He gave me the eye of the tiger here. He's got the eye of the tiger back. And uh, we wanted to get up to step seven. We got to, and we got to step five. So, I mean, I'm back. I feel like I'm back on fire with the steps. I got the eye of the tiger. I, mean, I, got, I got the enthusiasm I had. Many years ago, as a, as a result of doing this with the man who helped me when I was still sick. So you know what? So the message here is: be kind to be kind to the newcomer. They may be your sponsor someday. <laughs> Hopefully they won't, but they might be. So then I did step six and seven, and it says in the AA twelve and twelve, which is all we had when I went through the steps, was. Uh, the, the, the fear is the chief a activator of all these uh, defects of character. And I had to look at that and look at that and realize that even with, with this guy, one of the first things I did was have him write a, write a fear list because that was going to come up time after time. And uh, I had a lot of financial insecurity and fear because my parents were, I was the last of three. They were born, they were married in the Depression. And uh, they went through the Depression. I went through it in the 50s vicariously through them. And I can go through it. I can go through it in the new millennium vicariously through them at times, and unfortunately. So, um, so we, so uh, Susan and I bought this house up, and an OA member uh, had this house we bought for sale. And I saw her one time, and you know, I, actually, when I had about five years absent, absence, I went by her house one time, and I picked up a, uh, I borrowed a book or lent a book to her, and uh, I just pulled up the house. I didn't go inside the house. I didn't go inside. I just we swapped the book, and I said thank you. And, and I left, and I said to myself, "What? Well, I'd like to own a house like this someday, but I said, I'll never be able to. I said, this, this bankruptcy, and I had all these financial problems in the past. And, and as God would have it, from my, basically my 10-year OA birthday, I bought that. Not only did I buy a house like that, I bought that house <laughs> off this OA member. So it's like I had an ass in the kitchen, you know, to start with. It was, it, you know, the kitchen was already abstinent, you know. Uh, which was in the house was too, and had a lot, a lot of love, a lot of OA love in the house. But when we bought the house, um, it was for sale, you know, and there was a, it was whatever it was, thousand and nine hundred, you know, and, and and so you know my thing was always to uh, because of my fear and financial security and thinking I was a big shot, I would always I bought like several houses in the past, I would always really lowball the price and just we just piss people off, you know, like no one wants to hear that, and I and I'd like I'd like to trade horses, but. But it's, it wasn't fair what I was doing, so I said to Susan, said, let's just offer the asking price here, you know? Let's just offer, it's a fair price, let's just offer the, the asking price. So we did. And, uh, but she got, but that realtor said, Tom, i got to inform you that there was two offers today, and by law, she has to take the high offer. And I thought, oh, what if someone, because it wasn't in, wasn't in vogue then, but now people offer above the asking price. So, um, uh, the other offer came in $900 less than ours. It was whatever thousand it was, and we offered $900 more. And this was like, in many ways now, I could never leave. I'm so emotionally tied to this up. I could never leave this up. I could never leave this backyard. And, and, and we had this cool little porch with all kinds of Tibetan, Tibetan prayer, prayer flags, too many for my wife probably. 
little spiritual statues in a pound, and I just, in the little squirrels, I say hi to the squirrels in the morning. I say hi to the statues of St. Francis, you know. I meditate with the water. It's just, I just could never leave this place. But I almost lost it for eight cents a day. $900 over 30 years is eight cents a day. So overcoming my fear in step six and seven, I was able to get this house that I absolutely loved. It was only eight cents a day, and that's all about the fear. And those steps six and seven are the ones that are never, hardly ever talked about. Those are really the changing steps. Those are the ones that change from the inside out, I believe. You know, they say in AA that if you take a, take a uh, uh, sober up a drunken horse thief, what do you have? A sober horse thief. You know? Like, like here. Like, same thing here. The change has to come from within. And the steps that are so infrequently talked about are six and seven. And those are huge. Those are big steps. Very big steps. And then eight and nine. You know, I'd make, make a list of all the persons I'd harmed. And, you know, I'd harmed a lot of people. There's a lot of people out there that I'd harmed. But, you know, the one person that this is, this is always debated who's on the list, who's not, I put myself on a list. Because after I made amends for uh, the consequences of my disease and other people, I had to make amends for myself for the consequences of other people's disease on me as a kid. I didn't have a childhood. I was told I was a fat slob. I was going to be the fattest kid in San Francisco. I grew up and I was one or two, one or, two or three years old. Gotcha. Uh, and... Uh, so I had to start doing things for myself. I had to start being more. I had to start being selfish, and I started. I started going to the mountains and going backpacking, and, and I always wanted to hike. I heard about this John Muir Trail my whole life. 1999, I took a month, hired a gardener, and did the whole thing. You know, it was. It was again. I, I got to Mount Whitney on, on July, August 15th, 1999. It was a really big thing for me to do this because I'd seen it for the first time when I was eight years old in Yosemite Valley. That trailhead it said Mount Whitney, 211 miles, and I and I did it, and it was an amends to myself. And all the traveling and all the fun I've had has been amends to myself, to the Tommy who never had a life. You know, Susan and I were going to a retreat one time in Santa Cruz years ago, and uh, I had a therapist once who told me to do all the childhood pictures. And so, so I, I and he goes, he goes, someday one of these pictures is going to make you cry. And I picked up this kindergarten picture that day, I think it was like 95 or 97. I picked up this picture, and there's all these little kids, and there's this one very obese kid in the back row, and it was me. And I had a suit on. Because I used to like to wear shirts and ties and suits because I had to be an adult even back then. And I just made an amends. I said, I'm sorry. I know you did the best you did. And I made amends to myself that day. And things have changed a lot. And I think it's important that we're, that we're on that. I think we should be on that list too. You know, and steps 10 and 11 are, are, are so important. And it, says in, it says in the AA 12, so it's the foundation for our recovery. You know, it's that, it's that, it's that daily inventory and, and the meditation. But it's a taken together it's a fantastic foundation for life. And I can check myself at the door so often with that. When I'm going off and I'm being nuts. And, and one time, um, my wife and I went to a movie and, and had dinner. And we went to this stupid Jack Nicholson movie. And I really like Jack Nicholson. And it's that old angry Irishman in me, you know. And I was talking to my ex-sponsor this morning. And he said something about someone thought he was pissed off. I said, you're pissed off. I'm pissed off. We're Irishmen. We're born angry. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like angry. So I see Jack Nicholson. like, angry. And so I'm doing this little, so after dinner, after the movie, I'm doing this little Jack Nicholson imitation. It's never very good. And, uh, and, and uh, it was so bad, my wife didn't get it. And so, and, so, and so she said, you're being kind of mean tonight. Or something like, and I go, oh, my God. I felt so hurt because I thought, well, we had a good, had a good night, dinner, and a movie. And so I said to myself, I better make an amends. Do, is there any part of me that owes her an amends? I said, well, she could probably misconstrue my behavior tonight. So we're right out here in Arden Way, just left dinner. I said to myself, by the time I get to Highway 80, I'm going to make an amends. It's over. No way. You know? <laughs> so I said, 
by the time I get to Highway 50, I'm going to make an amend. No way, you know. And it says, you know, we seek the power of God's knowledge and, and uh, the power, to, the, uh, the power to, of carried out. And uh, knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. And it's knowledge and power. It's what I, I had the knowledge. I needed power. I knew what I needed to do. So we finally got home. And I made the U-turn in front of the house. And I said, Susan, can you forgive me for what I did? And she said, yes. And can, can you forgive me? That's the power of these steps, you know. In the old days, I get divorced over empty ice cube trays. You know, and uh, the twelve steps. Twelve steps had says. Twelve steps says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of this step, these steps, we tried to carry this message and practice these principles in all of our affairs. What's the message? If you ask anyone in this room, they're going to have a different message. I happened. I knew someone, and this is not. I'm not trying to be a big shot here, but I knew someone that knew Phil Wilson when he was a newcomer, and picked him up at a train station in Chicago one time. Got to know him fairly well and ask him, what is the message? Well, the first, the first stanza of the step is the message. Having had a spiritual awakening, we carry this message. And the, and the, and the spiritual, and the, and the, the awakening is, I have an awakening of the spirit as a result of these steps. And as a result of these steps, I've changed from the inside out and no longer find it necessary to compulsively. It's a miracle for me. You know, I, I came in here over 300 pounds. I'm 140 pounds less than I was when I, when I got here. I've maintained that within a few pounds the whole time. And, you know, I was always up and down 100 pounds before I got here. Just amazing. You know, we were, uh, I was in a rowing club years ago and, uh, on, this, on the Deepwater Channel in, uh, in, uh, just west of here in Sacramento. And there was, uh, there was an old guy in the club. His name was Ray. He was from Poland. He goes, Tom, must row to a yellow house. And uh, so... <laughs> For this yellow house, so I started to row for forever. Couldn't, wouldn't come to the yellow house, and the whole time I'm having imagine what this what this yellow house is going to be like, and uh, never having seen it. So one day, and I'm, I got to, all this and all this in my mind, imagine what this thing is—this Victorian Clarksburg mansion. I had the color of yellow. I had a dock. I had I had lamps. I had gas lamps on this thing and everything. So one so one day, it's it says. Uh, um, one day I'm rolling and I see this in yellow in the trees and I pull up. I saw so I'm in this little boat all by myself and I pull up and I see this thing and it's like, that's a yellow house? That looks like a tool shed. I was so disappointed. I go back to the boat and I said, that was a yellow house? You know, that can't be the yellow. It was. So the big book says, join us as we trudge a road to happy destiny. We never get there. We just keep trudging, you know. That's the beauty of this program. Then when I got the yellow house, I was so disappointed. After 12 years of program, I go, where's the diploma? It's not here, you know. <laughs> So after 25 years, after actually after three years of abstinence, I got myself a license plate, and it tells my story best. I O O A. Thank you very much. Upside down. Okay, there we go. I O O A. coming. I just really do. I have 
You guys, this is fabulous, <laughs> I must say. And um, there's something you have to remember, and that is that you have to go somewhere next July. And there's going to be some people that are going to come up here right now and tell you where you got to go. The 2005 convention. <laughs>